Welcome to Sunrise, your weekday podcast bringing you a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Tramel Gomes, reporting from the Florida Capitol as Governor Ron DeSantis opens up publicly for the first time about his wife's breast cancer diagnosis. I got faith in the big guy upstairs, and I've got faith in her. And, uh, and I know that you know, this is a bad break, but, but she's got an awful lot uh, to live for uh, for the rest of her life. And Meanwhile, the governor is following through on his promise to fine local governments for mandating vaccines as a condition of employment. Leon County alone was slapped with over a $3.5 million fine. I believe that this is going to be a fundamental dispute between the county and the state, and I think we're going to see it in court. And there is a big shakeup in the city of Miami as its police chief is expected to be forced out today just after six months on the job. But he was from L.A., so he's not a Miami Cuban. So there's some inner ethnic tension here where the, the, the Cuban-American leadership of the city, for a large part of the power structure, was kind of not happy with him coming in and really shaking things up. Today's Sunrise interview is with Danny Rivero, a reporter and producer for WLRN Public Radio. Danny is here to break down the big shakeup in the city of Miami's police department. Also, Danny talks about why he had to block the governor's press secretary on Twitter. We're also going to hear from Democratic Representative Allison Tant, who as part of the Leon County Legislative Delegation is speaking out against the governor for imposing a $3.5 million fine against the county for its COVID vaccine requirement. We've got all that, including other top stories trending around the state and capital. Plus, we have your calendar of political events and more. But first, a word from our sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Following is a paid political advertisement paid for by Florida Education Champions. Online sports betting, it's legal and it's coming to Florida. With passage of our amendment next year, any tax revenues collected are required to supplement the Florida Educational Enhancement Trust Fund. Hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenue for students and teachers, with more choices and competition for Florida consumers. Be a champion today. Learn more and request your petition at FloridaEducationChampions.com. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, October 13th. It's National No Bra Day and National Train Your Brain Day, likely designed to help you avoid focusing on that No Bra Day. But seriously, it's also National Stop Bullying Day. On this day in 1952, concerns were growing over the mounting public debt in the U.S., which was predicted to reach $268 billion by the end of the financial year. Turning to Washington, members of the U.S. House on Tuesday pushed through a short-term increase to the nation's debt limit, ensuring the federal government can continue fully paying its bills into December and temporarily averting an unprecedented default that would have decimated the economy. The $480 billion increase in the country's borrowing ceiling cleared the Senate last week on a party-line vote. The president will sign it into law this week. Just over a week after he made the announcement about his wife's breast cancer diagnosis, Governor Ron DeSantis spoke publicly about it for the first time Tuesday during a news conference in St. Pete Beach. You know, I I would say um, she is a very, very strong woman. Um, And uh, it's it's not an easy thing when this happens because it's just your life is going. Then all of a sudden this is something that that puts that in the balance. 
At 41 years old, Casey DeSantis is the mother of the couple's three children. The youngest was born after the governor took office in 2019. But I think she's she's basically come to the, the point of, okay, this is what I'm going to have to deal with. And, you know, we've been in and out of getting medical already, and she's like the healthiest person in the whole hospital. I mean, like, and so I think she her view is, is better me than somebody who may not be able to deal with it as way as way I better better me than God forbid other people that DeSantis says the news came as a surprise there was no indication of paying for Casey during her checkup and that's why he's encouraging others to take the time to get screened these um, screenings and the things that you go can really really be life-saving and so I would just encourage folks you know, not just women with breast cancer but but men who have you know there's certain things that that we're more susceptible to uh, make sure that you go in and do that when you know when the physicians tell you to she just had a feeling she needed to do it and so so thank God that um, you know that, that she did but uh, you know so we've got we've got we've got a, a road ahead um, you know, our kids are young enough that, that they don't really know what's going on. Florida issued its first fine Tuesday to Leon County claiming it was in violation of a new state law banning coronavirus vaccine mandates and for firing 14 workers who failed to get the shots. The Florida Department of Health issued the more than $3.5 million fine that was long promised to come by the governor. Part of the Leon County Legislative Delegation, Democratic Representative Allison Tant says the fine is a government overreach. So this is a $3.6 million fine to, to Leon County for um, requiring its employees to be vaccinated. Now, let's review. These are frontline employees who are going to come into contact with people across this community that may not um, be vaccinated. And we literally don't know what anybody else is really living with at home, whether there's an aging uh, loved one, whether there's a disabled loved one, whether there's a medically fragile loved one. And uh, the county, um, you know, the county has the authority to make its own decisions, you know, within home rule, within the confines of their of their authority that is granted to them. So um, I believe that this is going to be a fundamental dispute between the county and the state. And I think we're going to see it in court. So I think that that's coming next. So essentially, this is coming down to a legal fight, a court battle right now. Well, I mean, you know, I, you know, the legislature did pass a law last year. Um, so this is going to be an interesting question to see what the rule of law turns out to be between the, with this court case that's going to come up. So I, I personally believe that, you know, during the during the course of the pandemic, we saw that it was local government who stood up and did that took the steps that they had to take, whether it was related to um, to wearing masks, not wearing masks, whether it was to, um, you know, sh shutter schools, shutter businesses for a short while. It was up to local governments whether or not there was a curfew. There was all, all of this fell to local governments. And now that we, and, and at the height of the pandemic, um, it was necessary. We didn't know what we were dealing with. Then came COVID-2 or the COVID variant, and that was killing people in bigger numbers than even COVID-1. And so, I, I mean, I think our county was taking the steps that they thought were necessary to protect our its workers. And I think that that is an obligation of an employer. So um, uh, now, of course, this overrides the authority of the local government. It overrides um, any concern about protections. 
Um, and uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how the court case plays out. Thanks to Representative Allison Tant, that $3.57 million is due in 30 days, equating to around $5,000 for each of the county's 700-plus employees who were required to show proof of vaccination, seek a medical or religious exemption, or be terminated. Here is your calendar of events. The Senate Agriculture Committee will receive a presentation about artificial intelligence and precision agriculture. That's at 9. The House Agriculture and Natural Resources Appropriations Subcommittee will receive presentations from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission about red tide and a record number of manatee deaths. That's at 11. The House Professions and Public Health Subcommittee will receive presentations about efforts to prevent infant mortality. The Senate Health and Human Services Appropriations Subcommittee will receive a presentation from the Agency for Persons with Disabilities about a 2020 law that made a series of changes in programs for people with disabilities. The House Congressional Redistricting Subcommittee and State Legislative Redistricting Subcommittee are meeting at 1. Beyond the Capitol, the Florida Commission on Offender Review will meet, the State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission will also meet, and the Florida Commission on Ethics will meet to discuss budget issues. All right, let's head south away from the Capitol and talk Miami politics. Today, the city's police chief, Art Acevedo, is expected to lose his job. We have Danny Rivero, a reporter and producer with WLRN, Miami's public radio station, to help explain the controversy around the plan to kick the police chief out after six months on the job. Also, Rivero shares why he had to block the spokesperson of Governor Ron DeSantis from his Twitter feed. All right, so Daniel Rivera, welcome to Sunrise. Thank you for joining me here. I wanted to find out what's going on there in Miami with the ouster of Miami's very new police chief. Right. Well, it's there's been a long bubbling discontent with with uh, Chief Acevedo, Art Acevedo, uh, ever since he was hired. Uh, he was brought in. He was recruited single-handedly from the mayor, Francis Suarez which sidestepped the, um, the interview process that they originally had when they were looking for a police chief, but the mayor went around and brought him in. So people were upset. There were some people upset about some shakeups that he did with city staff. He fired some officers, uh, demoted some, and then he made the very infamous comment that it was almost like the city of Miami's run by the Cuban mafia, which really angered the city commission, three, three-fifths of which is Cuban-American. They held a series of public meetings slamming every and everything that he's ever done. And they've basically leaned on the city manager to fire him. And the city manager has now suspended him. And there was a meeting uh, later on where they're going to potentially finalize that, close this chapter. He's only been on the job for six months. So very, very short time for a police chief. In really trying to find out what went wrong and where he went wrong to get this ouster what would you pinpoint as the cause that comment or something else or everything it was everything i mean it was a way that he was hired which had not a whole lot to do with him they didn't um actually fully vet him in his past which is not on him that's on the city and the city manager they didn't vet him so there was things in his past that they weren't aware of then he made this comment about the cuban mafia and the you know the irony is the the police chief is cuban-american but he was from LA, so he's not a Miami Cuban. So there's some inner ethnic tension here, 
where the, the, the Cuban-American leadership of the city for a large part of the power structure was kind of not happy with him coming in and really shaking things up. So they, it's, it's a mixture of everything. Mayor Suarez. Well, it is clear that Chief Acevedo has the qualifications and the experience to be an effective chief of police. It is also obvious that his personality and leadership style are incompatible with the structure of our city's government. The status quo where a top city administrator is at war with the city's elected leadership is simply untenable and unsustainable. This dynamic was unforeseeable, and while Chief Acevedo ended, ended up not being a good fit for our city, I certainly wish him and his family the best of luck in the future. Is he being held accountable for this hire that everyone, like, you know, when he was coming in, praised and said it was the best thing to bring this person on board and and I think touted his Cuban connections to the area, although he's from L.A.? <laughs> um, what's what's the fallout for him? There's not much fallout. You know, Mayor, Mayor Suarez is up for reelection. There's not any serious contender. It's definitely a blemish on his record in some way, but if that translates to any negative repercussions electorally, um, probably not. Who is going to be the replacement? The interim police chief will be an assistant police chief, Manny Morales, who's pretty middle of the pack, straight up. He's been in the, in the department for a long time, not controversial in the short term, but then the city's going to have to turn around and they're going to have to do another round of interviews. They're going to have to do a search. They're going to gonna have to try to figure out who's going to permanently come in and, and replace the police chief. All right. So we'll have to wait and see. You, on the other hand, had a run-in with the governor's spokesperson, Christina Pouchaw, I believe that's how you pronounce her name. What's the backstory? Bring us up to speed. And where are things now? I was off the job this weekend, but as I do, I kind of regularly check in. So I was looking at what was going on in, in Jacksonville with flight cancellations and whatnot. We had some mass flight cancellations with that same airline a few a few months ago here in Miami before any vaccine mandate ever happened. So, that, you know, the problems with this airline with staffing are not new, not necessarily vaccine mandate related. But what she was doing on Twitter is just she was framing it with like question marks like these flights are canceled. Is it the vaccine mandate? And she was repeatedly doing this where she was on the one hand saying, like, maybe this is a question, but it's the spokesperson for the governor who is really pushing this and then hedging a little bit with question marks and like, could be. And to this day, there's nothing really to back that up. I mean, there's nothing to back up the theory that this is about vaccine mandates. As she was changing her information, I, I basically tweeted like she's walking it back because she was hedging more and more as more information started to come out. And then I basically said, you know, making accusations that fit a political narrative and then waiting for the facts to fall later, it's going to break our politics because in my opinion, it will break our politics because it, you're basically saying facts don't matter. Um, she took issue with that. She started calling me out. Oh, here's like the NPR reporter disinformation. I mean, <laughs> I didn't even inform. I just said, she's not informed with what, with what she's saying. Um, and then, yeah, she, it was just like repeatedly posting and, you know, it ended up with hundreds of, of, of people coming after me and her just like repeatedly trash talking me and whatnot. And I'm, you know, Sunday night watching a show, my phone is going crazy. I didn't need to do that. Um, it's not productive for anyone. It's not professional for me to go in and back and forth. Frankly, it's not professional for her to do that. So 
you know, you're the spokesperson for the governor, whatever, hit the block button. I mean, let's, let's, let's get real. How did you feel? Because this, this tactic has occurred, uh, not just once it's happened several times where reporters have been attacked, if you will, with strangers, followers online who would start to go after a person and do any and everything. I think in your case, they went and pulled up all of your past tweets and bring that forward and, and to, to use things against you. What was that process like? I'm generally an open book. You know, if you want to go back and criticize something that I, that I tweeted several years ago, fine. You know, one of the things that the spokesperson pulled out was a screenshot I took of an indictment for George Papadopoulos, who was caught up in this Trump-Russia thing. And she was basically saying, oh, look, you were pushing the, the fake news hoax. It's like, Papadopoulos cop to everything that the, that the feds were, were lobbying against him. You know, like, if you're going to say I was, I was following a hoax, that's not the one. He pleaded guilty. Um, so, you know, on some level, I, ex- I expect scrutiny. That's fine. But it was, it, it was very concerted of an effort, I guess. And um, who's that productive for? Who, is, that, is that helping taxpayers? Is that helping the state? Is that helping whoever? You know, I didn't feel like it. I mean, it, was, it felt very personal. She was attacking me as a person, as, as, a, as a professional. You know, I take my job seriously. And um, it's not productive for anyone. Thanks to Daniel Rivero with WLRN for joining the program. Finally, as you jumpstart your day, thanks for tuning in for today's Sunrise. I'm Tramel Gomes at the Capitol, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture.